Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Frank Rodriguez, who is the policy advocate for CAUSE. And I'm going to let him talk about CAUSE in a second, but I want to just give you a, a welcome, warm introduction because you, Frank, are somebody who's a tremendous activist in this community. You do so much work in this community for people who don't have a whole lot of representation and aren't able to navigate what's happening at City Hall. You're their voice. You're doing so much, a lot of it behind the scenes. Uh, sometimes you get headlines with some of the work you do when you intersect with government, but you are somebody who is really important and powerful and making a difference. And I'm so glad that you were able to be on this show today. Take some time in your very busy schedule. How are you today, Frank? Good. And thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me um, and appreciate the kind words. Yeah, thank you. I want to dive right in and talk to you about an issue that's coming up Tuesday at Santa Barbara City Hall. And this is the rent control slash stabilization. I know there's some different terms going around for what it is, but I want to talk to you about why Santa Barbara is having this conversation and what causes position is as it relates to implementing some kind of stabilization of rising rents in the city. We obviously know that there's a large Latino population that has been slowly leaving and been driven out because of increasing rents. Your organization's done a lot of that research. Talk to me about rent control, rent stabilization, Frank. Why do we need it? Yeah, so thanks again and again, Frank Rodriguez, um, policy advocate with CAUSE. And just to give a little context with CAUSE, just I think it helps answer this question and why we approach um, the way we do our work. Um, CAUSE works on building a base of community leaders, um, especially immigrant moms and pops in the east side and west side of Santa Barbara. Um, these areas that, you know, we've traditionally have a lot of um, below market rent many times, a lot of places where a lot of um, the service workers, the, the hotel workers, a lot of that service industry that Santa Barbara really depends on lives in these communities. Um, and um, cause has been around since the living wage campaigns in the early 2000s. And so um, around five, six, seven years ago now, um, our community leaders, especially in the west side of Santa Barbara, mostly single um, um, immigrant parents and moms, um, were being evicted unjustly or were being evicted without cause. They weren't told the reason. Um, and so as cause, we were having meetings um, during that time. Um, Rigo was the community organizer with cause here in Santa Barbara. Um, and I remember attending one of those meetings where folks had just been evicted. Um, they appreciated, I think, very much the immigrant rights work that was really the focus of our work during that time, especially in terms of cars that were being confiscated from individuals when they were pulled over if they didn't have a license. And during that whole um, era of, of, of fear around that issue. But these moms were telling us, like, the biggest issue we have is these evictions. We are seeing our community being displaced and be and that was that emergency that forced them to to move out of Santa Barbara and many times not leave the job in Santa Barbara, just move to another um, neighboring city or area where they can live. Um, and so that's why around five years ago, um, cause took on housing issues as one of our top issues to address really the gentrification that we first felt. Um, m m very much so here in Santa Barbara, 
um, but something that was a reality as well in the other cities we work on, which was in Santa Maria and Oxnard and Ventura in Santa Paula. Um, and so during that time, we saw that this displacement um, was one of the main issues we needed to tackle. And so with our community leaders really went into um, advocating for tenant protections. Um, and I think to close that loop, um, we were looking at what many of our um, statewide activists like um, Tenants Together, um, an activist group that was with us in our latest protest and has been supporting a lot of the rent stabilization, rent control efforts that have been happening across the state. Um, um, leading with the message of um, we need um, eviction protections alongside rent stabilization and habitability enforcement. That kind of tenant protection triangle um, works because that way folks cannot be displaced because a unit is uninhabitable that they have to leave. Um, some are just un evicted without reason um, and or the rents are raised to a point where they can't live there no more. So that kind of protection for us is an important safety net. And so why we have been advocating for rent stabilization so that folks can plan for these increases in, uh, uh, in, in cost of housing. Um, because we know the majority of our community is rent burdened, um, especially here in Santa Barbara County, uh, but the despairing kind of wages and the cost of living here. Um, so as cause, we really to get on to do this fight with our coalition partners, especially labor unions, especially other groups, because we know, although we're, we're definitely advocating for the Spanish speaking immigrant community, um, this fight is for everybody in terms of this is gonna benefit and put a safety net. So it's protecting everyone from the bottom that protects everyone above that. Um, so, um, um, we appreciate the the Santa Barbara City Council, and this has been, and we also appreciate everyone in this effort because this has been a long, um, um, critical conversation that we've been having at City Hall, which we appreciate, and we know it's been needed. So appreciated that um, Just Cause was implemented in Santa Barbara with the strong relocation assistance for for folks here in Santa Barbara, knowing that um, we want to limit that that emergency that forces people. Um, like you opened up, Josh, in, in talking about the push out of the Latinx community, the push out of people of color, the push out of, of folks who are part of um, an economy that was hurt, um, um, especially by folks working here um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, during the ecological disasters we've had here. Um, so I think a lot of that has really opened us to really use that word like safety net. Um, um, a safety net to make sure that folks don't fall between the cracks. Um, and so that's why we, as, as cause and as a community, have been advocating um, to close that loophole in tenant protections, which is um, um, really how much rents have been increasing um, over the years. And we know, um, looking at the South Coast kind of survey uh, that they put out, that since 2012, we've seen a 40% increase. Um, in rents, and we know wages haven't been increasing like that. So um, I know there's a lot of nitty gritty more information, but I'll stop there, right, Josh, in terms of why cause really um, with our community leaders has been advocating for rent stabilization. Yeah. So the last time this issue came up, it was a long meeting and we had uh, property owners, uh, people from the real estate community, businesses come forward and talk about how it would be the wrong direction for the city to go this way. Now, obviously we also had plenty of renters and activists and people say, no, we need to do this. So it was well represented on both sides, but 
can you talk about property owners who say things like, if we have rent stabilization, if we're not allowed to raise rents uh, according to our needs, according to what the market rate will allow, it's actually going to hurt the people that it's trying to help the most because there's going to be less investment in housing. There's going to be less of an effort to want to maintain these homes because they're not getting that extra money for, for tenant improvements. And this, you know, they say, depending on who you talk to, these aren't super wealthy people, all of them, or corporations. This might be a, a property owner in the community that has just a couple properties. And if you lower their ability to take in rent, they do affect them in a real personal way. So can you talk about some of those counter arguments? Yeah, no, and uh, we know there, there there's several. And um, um, for us, we feel it, it doesn't matter who, um, what unit we're talking about, right? Because there's definitely different type of units. There's um, some that we can't even touch, which are limited by Costa Hawkins, um, um, which doesn't allow for new developments or properties built after 1995 to have rent control. Yeah. So those properties are off the table, right? So in terms of this conversation of it's going to hurt development and and that new housing that we 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 know we need and causes and our community partners have been at those meetings within the city or within the county advocating for those um, for those funds. Uh, but in terms of um, um, Rent stabilization and rent control have been in practice for a very long time, um, for several decades th throughout the state, but of course throughout the country. And that first wave of rent stabilization efforts that saw it come in Los Angeles and the San Francisco kind of metro areas, um, um, those cities are still functioning and 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 thriving. Um, um, and then there's been a new wave with this new housing crisis and where we're seeing the cities of Santana, we're seeing the cities of Inglewood, um, and locally the, the city of Oxnard just voted um, to support rent, rent stabilization at 4%. Um, um, just two days ago or yesterday, um, um, which is, is a huge kind of um, um, win for, for the Central Coast as being the first city to take that step to, to bring rent stabilization into practice. Um, and we know one of the, the biggest talking points that we've been hearing from, from property owners has been that the cost of this bureaucratic program is going to be un unmanageable. Um, um, but what Oxnard put into shows us is um, what, what they're charging per unit um, is $50 a year um, to manage this program, which is around 4 to $5 a month, um, um, where these costs can be split between the tenant and the landlord. Um, and so this, that, that idea that um, we're, um, this is going to be too much money spent on a program, the models and, and um, the examples that we've had for rent stabilization throughout the state are plentiful. Um, and so we appreciate Oxnard showing that example of uh, uh, a model that is where the city manager takes a big role in, in making sure that um, the laws are being fulfilled. Um, and um, so the, this idea that the program is too costly, um, just to be open, there's the, like a lot of folks have been saying our um, policy director, um, Lucas Zucker, has been saying is there's the Cadillac models, right, that can be very expensive, but there's also kind of um, the Hondas, right, the, the, the Civics that will 
um, not be as expensive. Um, and we can't use the fear tactic of just looking at those really expensive models because um, we know we have to be unique to our smaller kind of um, um, cities that we have um, here in the Central Coast. So big ups to Oxnard in, in, in getting that win and getting 4% um, um, into, into play. And addressing another um, fear in terms of habitability issue, which we know um, we've been talking with, with council members on that in terms of what's going to happen to the habitability. Um, and like I mentioned in our tenant <laughs> protections triangle, that's a huge part. Um, and anybody that is, is renting apartments to a community member needs to make sure that they are habitable. Um, we cannot have folks living with mold, um, something that, that was talked about at, at the action we just had, where folks were, were um, addressing the uninhabitable um, 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 housing they've been living in um, with paying all this, these rent increases that have been coming. So rent increases have been coming without habitability being um, implemented. However, when rent stabilization does get implemented, um, there is um, waivers that can be applied to um, because someone is still allowed to, to, to make their money. So hence why there's an agreement of what that rent increases over time. Um, but there could be an emergency waiver that um, someone applies to, let it be with the city manager or the rent control board, whichever one is managing, um, for them to say, I want to increase um, rents to this amount because I'm going to be doing this, these fixes to my property. Um, and those can range in terms of how um, big they can be, but um, someone can definitely ask for um, um, those emergency waivers in order to implement those habitability. However, now they have to show that they are fixing it in order to ask for that money from the tenants, which is a, a, a better um, um, power balance for, for us in, in thinking that someone right now, right, looking at the average rent, right, it's, it's um, over $2,000 for, for any of the bedrooms, and someone is investing in paying that rent all the time, and so they haven't been seeing the, those fixes coming in, so um, we feel like what this rent stabilization does, it creates a communication in which both parties understand, one, how much they're contributing, um, and also not the fear that, you know what, I can get this huge rent increase all of a sudden. And so we feel that the state rent gouging law, um, that is maybe another example that folks talk about in terms of, oh, we already have something. Um, that rent gouging law is, is temporary, right? It's, it, it got put in for, to be in practice for, for 10 years. Um, and also um, that is, about rent gouging, not rent stabilization or rent control. So hence why it's at a high percentage of 5% plus CPI. Um, and, and so we appreciate like what Oxnard just did at 4%. And we've been advocating here in Santa Barbara for a while um, for 2%, um, um, but understand that, that um, and open to, to, to hear where kind of the negotiations are in terms of um, really what, what that percentage is. Um, um, and do agree that CPI is an important equation of it. So we've also um, flirted in, in, in terms of that idea of 2% or CPI, um, especially when, when, when the CPI is above 2%. Um, but I think really looking at the, when you look at compound interest and uh, in how much rent can increase and the difference between a 2% rent increase from a 5% and a 10% are, are huge. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to see those, um, the effect that rent increases can have on a rental unit throughout a 10 year period. 
um, it is important, um, not just how much they can increase rent each year, because that compound interest can increase very quickly um, as someone's rent continues to increase um, in the percentage um, how much that takes in increases as well. So um, I think it's important for um, um, that communication to be very clear between, between the two parties um, and a trend that more and more cities are taking up here in California. Yeah, yeah very well put, well said, uh, makes total sense. One other argument, just to give and get you real quickly to yeah. respond to is, you know, if you have, you know, the properties built in the last 15 years or so, it would not apply. So the older buildings, it would. Uh, would you have scenario where people would never leave because their rent controlled um, amount of, of that they have to pay is going to be lower? And so they're just going to stay there forever, even if maybe they get a new job or even if they make more money. Um, whereas these other new apartments are market rate and um, you're going to have sort of two of these divisions in rental apartments in town. I've heard that argument as well. Can you talk about, if you have a rent control department, does that mean people are going to be there forever and never going to leave and then we're not going to have turnover and we're going to have a stagnant, stagnant community? Yeah, and we, we, we totally agree that there's a difference in terms of that really old school rent control, like that New York um, um, rent control when it got really first put, put into hand. In California, we're, we are working with a different environment. You already mentioned one of them with the Costa-Hawkins um, um, law that, that limits what type of units um, can be um, part of, um, be, can be rent stabilized. Um, and then we also have the Ellis Act to uh, provide property owners a lot of power in, their, in order to take their property outside of the rental market. Um, um, and we have been advocating um, to follow what the, the 2019 um, Tenants' Rights Act um, or the Tenants' Protections Act, um, where they, um, Costa Hawkins doesn't allow single family homes. So those are out of the question, right? But um, it allows certain types of um, um, rental units, but not a duplex that has an owner that lives in there um, in one of those two units. Um, um, and, and in terms of the just cause language that's in place, um, it does definitely limit and it requires someone to say why someone's being evicted. Um, basically, someone is able to defend themselves in court because they have to be given a reason. Um, but some of those reasons do include a owner move-in. So if a immediate family member is moving back into that property, um, um, that is just cause for eviction. Um, hence the relocation assistance being afforded to them. Um, so um, I, this is not the same kind of really strong rent control that, that that was in place really when rent control really first started um, mm -hmm. to be implemented. Um, we've had a lot of modifications and, and, and definitely the, 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 the word and, and, and the voice of the, the property owners have come into, um, into play very much so in, in how rent stabilized properties work in, in California. Um, so um, I think there, there's, there's enough, um, um, kind of rights for folks um, for those protections. And we still do have um, those just cause kind of procedures where someone can be evicted um, um, from, from a property um, if it's just, and if so, that um, um, they get a relocation assistance to help them move. Yeah, okay. Hey, I wanna to talk to you about a couple of things, which is the core issue here. What's happening with Latinos and Latinx community in Santa Barbara? Uh, we're seeing them move out of the city. We just did the redistricting and 
District 3 has fewer Latinos than it did before since the census mm -hmm. count. Um, <clears throat> what's going on in this community? I know you grew up in this community. Can you talk about why it matters that we're losing people who grew up here? <laughs> um why that that why that's meaningful you're you're here you, you know you're, you're making it work but it's difficult and it's tough what does a community lose when we lose uh you know latinx community people who've grown up in this community what's what's the issue here no for sure yeah i, I grew up um was born in right born in cottage hospital um winter franklin in cleveland before i went to la Colina, and then over to to bishop garcia diego high school where my family moved more towards um uh, the 154 and the 101 um ended up going to bishop after i, I worked at la cumbre country club starting at junior high they sponsored me to go there but my brother went to san marcos um so yeah I grew up in this community and definitely saw a change, um, especially that lower, I, I grew up in where Voluntario and Punta Gorda hit, mm -hmm. um, down in the Lower East Side. Um, and that's where we've actually had a lot of of um, of actions when our organizer, Alejandra Melgosa, um, was organizing with us, um, did a few actions where we marched down Voluntario Street, really addressing the, um, the felt gentrification. Um, I remember during that time, I had taken some council members, I think it was... Um, um, blanking out right now but um we we took them over to some apartments on voluntario where rents were literally being increased by 400 500 dollars on a family who um um were it was a family of with two children um and and of course this is before the pandemic before we had a lot of the protections um and um they couldn't understand why they were getting that um, and then we looked at the apartment and all I had gotten was like that white and black paint that we see a lot of places get. Um, but the the stairways were still very unsturdy. There was not a lot of fixes, but um, you could you, you saw places basically getting flipped. Mm -hmm. um, and I think all that area in Cacique mm -hmm. and Hatash Street, all around Voluntario. Um, and these areas that at the end of the day are pretty close to to downtown and have really good public transit to get to downtown from the east side and the west side. Um, so that's why we, we've always had the fear of of these areas um, being primed for for kind of flipping properties and um, getting uh, um, a different clientele rather than kind of service workers, right? And getting more of the, the, the higher income tech workers. Um, and so we wanted to really see these these protections be into place, especially in these areas, uh, because we wanted to protect, like I started off talking about, like um, those kind of below market rent areas that a lot of the workers in the city usually work at, um, that that nowhere is below market rent um, here right um, um, anymore, but where folks are still trying to, to survive. And and folks, many times when they we talk about the rent increases they get, they're like, cool, I, I would have been cool to pay this, but over a longer period of time, or at least um, 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 told, given bet, better notice of when this was coming so I can plan my financials in order to, to take care of this. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that that is very much felt. And, and especially when... Um, I think one, one of the ones I felt the most was, I think I was talking to some business owners on Meat Bus during kind of Las Fiestas and folks just talking about like, they feel that the, the presence of Mexican community or and, 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 and other immigrant communities is really um, a lot lower 
Um, and I think it, it's important on us to really recognize the history of, of communities that have been kind of pushed out of Santa Barbara, which include right, what's going on now, um, but especially, of course, also the, the Black community in the 70s and 80s and that gentrification that took that took place then, which coincided alongside when when the oil crisis was happening. So I think what we really want to see is um, um, these safety nets put into place to make sure that folks um, do not have to be displaced, where families and, and especially kids don't have to start school all over again in another area or um, um, really look for somewhere else to live. As someone who grew up here, like um, I would want I want all my families still be here. Right. Um, but there's a lot of ways folks get pushed out. Like I, my pops is back in Mexico. Um, my uncle was kind of locked up here at county jail and then he's back in Mexico after being deported by hand, getting handed over to, to immigration. Um, two of my tias and a tío moved to Texas during kind of that, that early 2000s when a lot of folks wanted to go um, take money that way to, to, to buy a house, right? And so you saw folks that were kind of um, leaving and, and being pushed out. And now um, I can now it's, I can count the amount of family I have here. So I think the um, um, when we're talking about what it means to keep a community together, I think it's more than just rent stabilization. Right. I think there's a lot of factors that um, um, go into um, pushing out the, the especially the immigrant and the people of color population that we've been hearing and seeing in the census. Uh, because there's no reason why um, Santa Barbara's um, um, pop immigrant or Latino population should be st around stagnant, um, while the rest of the of Southern California, especially Santa Maria and Oxnard, they're increasing rapidly in immigrant population, but not in Santa Barbara. So we've definitely been looking at the census data, especially in the east side and west side. We see in the west side, especially, there was a lot of folks um, pushed out. Um, and so I think there's a lot to comb through the latest census. Um, um, and it's a fear we've, as, as you've, you're talking about, that we've had that we're going to be continue to um, lose the, the community that, um, and the historical, like Santa Barbara has been a working class community, right? I think over the ages, it's gotten a lot of fame for a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, it's always had working class folks that, that have lived in, especially in the east side of Santa Barbara, um, um, a lot of people of color, a lot of communities that have um, brought Santa Barbara to what it is today. Um, and it's gone through many different phases after the earthquake in, in the 20s, after um, um, all, the, all the changes. But at the end, it's still kind of a working class community, we feel, and we want to make sure we protect those folks that are really the, the providing the service and whatever other type of work that makes Santa Barbara run. Yeah, I went to five different elementary schools and mm -hmm. we moved when, I mean, they raised the rents and my parents never owned anything and we just moved around, you know, um, I can't even tell you all the streets I've lived on in Goleta and Santa Barbara. I was born in Goleta Valley Cottage Hospital when it was, they called it Goleta Valley. Um, and all my family, I think I'm the last one here. Um, my family's in Lompoc, they're in Santa Maria, all my cousins. And then, you know, there's people all over, you know, they just moved out of California too, you know. And so it's really, it's really interesting to watch sort of that, that, that migration of people because they can't afford to, to live here. And I, I lived on Cacique for a while there, right mm -hmm. by the, the creek there and the mobile home parks. And mm -hmm. um, just, you know, I've, as an adult, I've lived where I live now in Galita is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So hopefully things are stable now. But you know, you talk like Haley Street, right? 
Yeah. You walk Haley Street, you talk about gentrification. And I mean, I'm no whatever coffee shops, you know, places to drink, whatever. But there's new housing. There's that project Mm -hmm. that's going to replace those blue homes of housing that's there, that John Price development. And you're seeing when you talk about less Latinos, fewer Mexican Americans, uh, fewer Black people, it's you can see it on Haley. Because if you grew up here and you were here 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the culture of that street is entirely different. So I I know, you know, I know what you're what you're saying in that regard. And then Milpas, the fear is like that's the next place that's going to get gentrified in terms of we have that big apartment housing project that's coming in, and that's a you know those rents are going to be really expensive. Yeah. You know? So, you know, we're sort of seeing all of that, even on the west side too. And and one of the things that you know, a lot of people come into town and they don't realize the history, and they want to go sort of like change everything, or they want to say how things should be. And this is a tech community, and we yeah. want young people to walk downtown and be able to, you know, ride their bikes, and all that's great, but. They don't really understand, like, there's already a community here. We don't need you to bring your tech community here and change what we do. And I think that's part of the complex conversation that, that, we're, that we're having. And a lot of people just don't, under, you know, understand that. How were you able to stay here, Frank? Uh, Frank? You grew up here. And, you know, how are you still here? Um, so part of, of uh, I moved back after I, um, I want to go do my BA over at UCLA and got my master's over at UT Austin. Um, and after that, moved back because my mom was still over here um, and wanted to support um, um, and come back to the mobile home park I had grown up in, um, which is Nomad Village um, over here by the, the El Sueño exit um, okay. and squish between the 154. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's those family networks, definitely. Um, and I think... Um, um, and cause definitely. I was looking for jobs in Los Angeles, and here in cause came up, and it was just perfect to to be able to bring that um, um, labor union electoral community organizing that I had done throughout Southern California um, and in Texas back over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, one before I continue with that question, thank you for elevating. I think especially Haley Street um, mm-hmm. because yeah, I think that one is just you definitely see what gentrification um, kind of is in fruition. Um, and um, and diving into the history of, of or just the story of Santa Barbara and Haley Street, um, and really looking at these kind of especially at, the, at that time the, the the or continue to be like those black venues that um, um, that were throughout Haley Street that were safe spaces for people of color then then became and are safe case um, places for for um, um, immigrant communities mm-hmm. um, especially as we get into the seventies eighties nineties. Um, and, and yeah, you could, and definitely it was a, a rougher area, um, that, that a lot of, especially white community were, were not going to, not all of them, but, um, it was considered kind of the rougher area. Okay. And so it's like, how do we have those conversations of, um, what, what all that language meant and what, um, and now means where we have, um, Haley street that, yeah, like you're saying, it has a lot more kind of coffee shops and, and, and spot that when it used to have a lot more kind of clubs and eos that used to be diamante that used to be um other venues um that um, a lot of our parents went to dancing um and i think that that is where i think i've seen especially the the drop in the latino population is just thinking of those dance venues where we used to have alex's in um, diamante and different spots in galita and and over here that were dedicated 
places um, that now it's kind of more of a Latino night or whatever it's called at a certain venue. Yeah. So you definitely see like that investment um, um, in terms of properties and, and where people were dancing. Those were also um, lost here. And I think one of the, the ones in Upper State Street, I'm blanking on the name. I know you know of, of it. Um, um, but on Upper Street Street, that dance venue that was up there, um, that one closed down as well. Um, um, and I know that one has switched from um, different owners, but that used to be a very important kind of Latino dance, dance hall as well. Um, so getting back to why I think I was able to stay here, it's kind of those networks, um, 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 being able to, to work here. But also, I, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I was, I was a Santa Barbara kid, you know, like I, I love skating um, and biking to work. Um, this is one of the, I know, best places to do that compared to when I was biking um, to go to work from Ball Heights to South LA. Sometimes it was it was rough, you know, in terms of what a uh, 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 environment can give you. And I mean, the public. I'm a big public transport and 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 skating and biking human. So um, stuff like that and being close to the beach, but being one of those people that really never goes to the beach, like inside the water, I'm more of like, oh, cool. We, I'm biking next to the beach kind of human. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things that pull me back this way, mostly family, um, um, a lot of dope family that, that I love and appreciate. Um, um, and um, it's, it's not the easiest thing. And so there are some protections, especially for mobile homeowners, right. In terms of um, um, in terms of the rent we pay and it's more stabilized uh, because it's state regulated. Um, so I know that has supported tremendously as well. So, um, um, but at the end, like for a lot of folks where both, both my parents were, um, my pops is back in Mexico, he's been back since like 2012, um, but he grew up working the service industry here, mostly um, 30 years over at La Cumbre Country Club. Um, crazy to say those time periods, um, he's been, he was there for a long time. And my mom um, has been cleaning houses and, and taking care of folks um, at their houses um, her whole life or her whole kind of working adult life here. Um, so um, folks that do those service economies are, are super important. And I think during the COVID-19 pandemic, we felt how much, it, how important it was, um, especially that, that human kind of connection and contact that you have from the service industry here. Um, and, and, you know, you're hearing, you know, Radio Bronco or, or one of those in the, um, in, in the kitchens here, right. Um, as you go to eat. So it's just kind of how do we make sure those folks that, that are the ones that are uh, making sure we have the, the, the best food, that we have the best service, that we have such a, a adult place to live and um, be able to, to, um, to live where they work um, and comfortably. And so we know this is a complicated conversation um, and we know this is part of another conversation, right? This is just rent stabilization is part of the solution for long-term housing security. Um, we know we need, we need more um, places for folks to live. Um, I think it's one of the questions you had raised in terms of we're going to have new property and, and older property. Um, and the thing is right now, right now it's kind of just a free for all. Um, and, and we can't have these skyrocketing rents be across the board because it's where the service economy worker is going to work at. Um, and so hence why we went hard on, on really elevating this and really elevating um, this um, for the Santa Barbara East side and West side. Um, because these are the pockets. And I think we've been pretty explicit and like we do want to protect these pockets because this is where um, um, a lot of our, our, our immigrant and working class and rental community live. Um, but what is changing, and that's what we're trying to decipher a lot from the census is 
folks are are moving around Santa Barbara, right? These areas that were maybe a little more um, um, not as much maybe immigrant or or people of color population are now living in other parts of Santa Barbara that we wouldn't think of, right? Because we know those pockets right now a little bit like Alamar over by um, Oak Park. We're thinking about um, still the Milpas and, and San Andres corridors, um, but places in in more towards where I live over here by um, um, behind the McDonald's and Upper State Street, There's a lot of apartments and a lot of immigrant communities. So um, um, we know it's a complicated conversation. We know there's there's a lot of ideas and um, um, and it's a contentious issue because it is a big decision for a municipality um, to take. So um, I think we're really taking the momentum of Oxnard and what they've done over um, um, in our neighboring county and and hoping we can see um, and continue these conversations to see something like that coming um, to fruition here in Santa Barbara. Great. And I want to be respectful of your time. One more minute. One more minute, Frank. Um, you had a demonstration, Delegate Plaza. Just to wrap up here, talk to the city council. Mm -hmm. You know, why do they need to make the right decision here um, when it comes to rent stabilization? Yeah, and, and that action is, um, um, we've been talking to council members and throughout this time, we, we've definitely, um, like we talked about right now, we're, we're focusing on, um, on those council members that, that we know um, will support us um, and um, really try to make sure they get all the facts um, in, in terms of um, um, everything we've been talking about, but also those learning moments of kind of with Oxnard in terms of the cost of the program and, um, and looking at all that. And um, our leaders really wanted to do an action um, um, and have been wanting to do one because it's been a while since the last uh, meeting. Um, and hearing that this is going to be the first time city council was in city hall together, um, the leaders um, um, wanted to protest outside of city hall. Um, and I think as of late, as, as one of the deciding votes, um, Alejandra Guti council member Alejandra Gutierrez, um, we've definitely been kind of putting pressure in terms of um, making sure they get all the 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 right information and just so they make uh, have all the info to make the right uh, decision um, and I think that it was um, how our how, how cause works um, we have junta grandes which is really meeting at people's houses um, using that that model of the United farm workers uh, Dolores Huertas Chavez in terms of building that connection and building up to an action and so we just had a junta grande over actually at Ledbetter Beach that our organizer Wendy um, Santa Maria organized which is awesome and the leaders were all of them were at the action that day to really um, one, bring up those those stories that I've been talking about, like with the mold, with the lack of habitability and making sure we have the right protections. Um, so our goal is to make sure that the council members have all the right um, information, but also have the stories of why we need this to be implemented. Um, and so, I mean, it was kind of perfect timing now that the, the, the rent stabilization vote is coming back this Tuesday. Um, um, and so... Um, we're excited to um, to have the conversation continue, and hopefully, we we get to have this super important safety net um, to protect renters and and the broader community here in Santa Barbara. Great. Well, thank you, Frank. Uh, really uh, great conversation. I appreciate you educating me and the audience on these complex issues. And just you know, personally, you are very inspirational. Uh, you're doing real work in the community. Uh, you don't really, you're not a spotlight seeker. You just do things, you get things done. And uh, this is the latest example of you, your efforts causes efforts. So, um, you know, I just want to say, you know, great, great work, you know, regardless of where this 
stands, you know, you're a role model for a lot of people in terms of how to be civic minded in your community. So thank you for your time. Very kind words. And I appreciate that, Josh. And right. Great talking to you. All right. Take care.